Hey guys, I hope you're having a good end to your 2019 year. I hope you're meeting all of your goals or better yet, you're exceeding them. But if you're not, I want to hear from you. I want this podcast to not only deliver value to you every week in the form of interviews and content that I provide to you, but I want to make sure that that content and those interviews are focused on the subjects and the challenges that you guys want to talk about and you guys want to know about. So if you could do me a quick favor, shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Make the subject line help. Tell me what you're struggling with. Tell me what you would like me to talk about on this podcast next year, and I will make sure that I turn this podcast into a machine that just cranks out information that is critical to you and your business and getting you to where you want to be in 2019. So shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject line help, and I will make sure that the content that I'm providing you is geared toward what you need. Also, if you want to get on the phone with me and just chat for a few minutes and kind of share with me what's happening in your business and see if I can help in any way, I would be very happy to do that. You can do it the same way. Shoot me an email, subject line help, and just tell me, hey, Mike, I'd like to hop on the phone and just talk and see if there's uh, something you can do to help me with my business, and we'll do that. So I uh, look forward to hearing from you, and let's go ahead and dive into what I think is going to be maybe the best show I've done in maybe years. It's fantastic. So let's get into it now. You know, I talk about that. I teach it. I wrote about it. It's out there. Right. Yeah. And people are like, oh, you know, is it okay if I copy it? I'm like, it's not copywritten. Like, how would I know? Like, of course, <laughs> use it. You know, it works. Right. Yeah. This is all about, you know, you spent the 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever for the book. And this is you shortening your learning curve. That's what you spent that 20 bucks for. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here and uh, choosing to spend time with me as opposed to all the other places you could be spending your time. So thank you for that. And I am so excited for this show. I don't even want to hold off for one more second because uh, the guest that I have on today is Susan Lassiter Lyons. And for those of you in real estate who are trying to raise money for deals, find private investors, and basically just eliminate the, the money excuse from your reasons why you don't think you can succeed or you haven't succeeded at the level that you have wanted to to this point, all of that gets put to rest uh, with Susan's book called Getting the Money. I have recommended it to dozens and dozens of people, and I know even more people who have gone out and gotten it uh, even before I got to them and have reported back that they've raised hundreds of thousands, in some case, millions of dollars. And I have been trying to get Susan on the show, and not that she's been uh, avoiding it by any means, um, but I have had that goal of getting her on the show for a long time. I reached out to her. She was gracious enough to accept my invitation, and I am psyched to bring you that interview today. So if you don't know who Susan Lassiter-Lyons is, she is an investor, a coach, a serial entrepreneur, 
and best-selling author who's had a long career in helping people create wealth. Um, I'm going to go through some more th- some more of the things that she has done over the last couple of decades. Uh, she's the founding and man she founded and manages a private equity fund that delivers gains of over 1.1 million dollars to her investors on average a 12.88 return, uh, advising real estate investors who, as a result of her fundraising framework, have collectively raised more than $400 million in capital since 2004 as a direct result of what she teaches people. She's the founder and editor of Income Investors Academy, a membership site for individual investors seeking double-digit yields in the public and private market. She's also founder and uh, founder and editor of Canavestors Lab. It's a cannab- uh, cannabis investing newsletter and trade alert service. She's the founder and editor of Value Vester Lab, a value investing newsletter and trade alerts services. Founder and CEO of the Squad Academy, which we talk a little bit about in the interview. It's a full service content marketing agency specializing in email campaigns, webinars, blogs, and social media. She's also uh, the number one uh, Amazon number one best-selling author of Getting the Money, which is really what we're focusing on mostly in this interview. Uh, getting the Money is a simple system for getting private money for your real estate deals. She's also the host of Total Returns podcast, a show dedicated to investing tips, tactics, and strategies. She's the founder and leader of One Life CEO, a wealth creation framework and invitation-only mastermind for entrepreneurs and more than 14 million in online sales facilitated since 2010 from her content marketing strategy, leveraging emails, webinars, and SEO. Wow, it's a mouthful. And that's just what she's done in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years here. Uh, she started in 1990 and and has done so much in this industry and been involved in so much. Uh, but number one, first and foremost, she's helped so many people raise money to eliminate probably the number one excuse people have for not being a real estate investor. I don't have any money. I don't know where the end, there is any money. I don't know anybody with money. All of that she sort of crushes and teaches people how to do it. So without any further ado, I am very pleased to introduce Susan Lassiter Lyons. Susan, thank you for being on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and be on the podcast. Thanks a lot. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here and to talk about this. It's you might know one of my favorite topics. I think it is. Other than, unless we were meeting uh, for margaritas uh, at at the restaurant, <laughs> which I, is escaping me, then this couldn't be more awesome. And I'll tell you, um, I've interviewed a lot of people. I, I can't remember anybody I've ever had on in all 355 episodes that I've been more excited about. So Aww. thank you very very much for being on. I know you've changed lives of people you don't even know about that I that I know of, and people who had that common question, right? Like. I want to do this, but I don't have any money and I don't, I don't know where to find it. And there's nowhere to get money and you have to have money. So, um, that question alone, you've answered for so many people and they've raised millions of dollars. And like we were talking about before we jumped on here, people you don't even know about. So yeah, thank you for that. And thanks for, for writing the book, getting the money, because it's, it's the Bible, in my opinion, of how you find and raise private money and how you treat people and all that. It's not just about finding it, but it's about how you treat them and and your interactions and being, doing what you say, you're going to do all that stuff. And we'll get into all that, but, but thank you very much for everything you've done for the community as far as raising money and everything else you've done. Wow. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. 
Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about that for a minute. Do you still get people who, when you talk and travel and do your, your, your podcast and things, do you still get people saying, where do I find money for my deals? And do you just go, come on, man, I wrote a book years ago. I know. It's, yeah, and it's fine, you know, because look, I started investing just as a, you know, a general topic back in 1990. So I've been at this a long time. Uh, and I started investing in real estate specifically in 1994. And I realized very quickly, like in about the first 11 seconds, that, uh oh, <laughs> I got a big problem here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need money. Right. Uh, and as we know, right, I know I'm preaching to the choir here and to your listeners as well. It's like uh, investment property loans aren't the easiest to get from traditional banks and lenders. And hard money lenders are going to probably eat into the majority of your profits and they can be difficult to deal with as well. Mm -hmm. So I had to get a handle on that problem really quickly. So I figured, you know, if I'm having this issue, I guarantee you that everybody else is having this issue as well. So I just set about solving my own problem, documented exactly how I did that. And then, uh, you know, people see that you have solved something and everybody wants to know how you did it. And so it was just kind of easier for me, like you say, instead of answering everybody one-on-one -on -one, to write a book. And then I could say, hey, we'll just, you know, go to hop over to Amazon, grab the book, and that'll tell you literally every single thing that I do and how I do it. Totally. It's, you know, and I can't tell you how many times I've read books like this, you know, people who try to solve a problem or explain a strategy in real estate and you read the book and it's like they left out everything, right? It's just <laughs> like an, a giant ad yeah. advertisement that you're reading. Yeah, yeah. And so I made a very... Uh, I made a very strong decision when I wrote the book that this is going to be the definitive book and I'm going to, I'm not going to hold anything back because I'm not going to be like, Oh, well, if you want the real secret, you have to pay me a million dollars. Yeah. No, it's in the book, right? Yep. Just get the book, do what I say in the book. And that's what I do. Right. So to answer your question, yeah, I, I do still get people coming up saying, Hey, how do you do it? And so I do refer <laughs> them to the book, but then the interesting thing that happens is I get people who like, who haven't read the book who say, okay, well, I'm sure you don't reveal everything in the book. Yeah. So tell me what the real secret is. And I'm like, dude, the real secret's in the book. <laughs> yep, no doubt about it. And you know, the funny thing too is you, one of the things you, one of the concepts or one of the, um, I'll say revelation, but it, it shouldn't be, but it is that you talk about early on in the book is that it's that real estate's a relationship thing and you call it relationship financing, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that's one of the biggest things is people go, well, you know, I'm not a big company. Like I'm not this big nameless, faceless organization. Why would they trust me? It's like, no, that's why they trust you because people loan. I, I've said this to people before and you've said it in your book as well. You've gotten money from lenders who on paper, maybe you weren't the one they should have lent to because you didn't have all the experience and you weren't polished or whatever, but they liked you and they identify with you and they just, they want to work with you because on a personal level, they connect with you somehow. And I, I've gotten more money. I've raised more money that way. Like by, by just people liking me or liking my wife more, more likely, but identifying with us a little bit. We had a lender one time that said, you know, the why we lent you money. We were in a room with investors that had far more experience back when I started. And they said, the reason we invested with you is purely because you and your wife remind me of my wife and I, you know, 25 years ago or 30 years ago. And, and so we want to, we want to work with you guys. And it's like, it's not about what I knew at the time. I didn't know anything really. I was just like telling them what I wanted to do. So can you talk a little bit about that relationship financing and what that means for you? 
Yeah, that's, and I love you sharing that story because that happens so often. And it's happened to me and it's happened to countless other people that I've chatted with about this process as well. So relationship financing is just a term that I kind of coined, um, you know, to talk about this whole topic of uh, kind of going outside of the traditional banking relationships and the banking products and programs that are available for mortgage lending and real estate. And bringing it probably more into the sphere of what it used to be back in the olden days. And I mean the real olden days, not the internet olden days. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like when, you know, you needed a, a loan and you like you kind of went to the people in your village, right? Or you went to the people uh, in your town. And, you know, it was kind of like a credit union community banking mentality yeah. that is kind of trying to make a comeback now because, you know, we have this kind of anti-corporate globalism thing going on. And so people are trying to get smaller, which I think is great for this specific thing that we're talking about. And so I just really wanted to kind of give a name to this concept of, you know, you need to get away from like those traditional mainstream approaches because they're not built for us. Yeah. They're not built for us. They're not built for the newbie investor. They're not built for the person who, you know, doesn't, uh, get a W-2, right? I mean, there it's, it just doesn't work for so many reasons. So, um, you know, we, when we started working with private money partners and that is the second piece of this that I want to talk about, right? I don't look at them as lenders yeah. because it's very much a relationship. It's relationship financing. And when we're in, when we're developing this relationship with lenders, I can't, you know, I, I can't look at them and say, oh, well, you know, this is my private money lender, right? Because then I'm putting them, I'm doing two things that are kind of wrong from a psychological perspective. I'm kind of putting them, them in like this corporate box, right? Of yeah. there's going to be the separation between us. Like you're going to be the lender and I'm going to be the borrower and we have to have this real, you know, corporate type of relationship. The other thing that it does is, um, when we call them a lender, it puts the real estate investor, it puts us in this weird subservient mindset, right? That they're the ones with the money, they're the ones with all the power, and they're the ones with all the control. When you and I both know that nothing could be further from the truth. Yep. We're in control, right? They are very much our investor and they, to me, they are very much our private money partner. So when I started just even changing that one word in the vernacular, just in the way that I described that relationship and started talking about them as private money partners, as opposed to lenders, boom, then all of a sudden our mindset changes. So now I'm not out like asking someone if I can quote unquote, borrow money from them. Now I'm out there saying, Hey, I'd like to share with you an opportunity to make money with me yep. and for you to leverage our relationship for profit. It's yeah. a very different conversation and it's huge for your mindset. It's huge for your mindset. It's so important. It's so true. You mentioned in the book at some point where it's it's one of the rules of things that you can do wrong when you're talking, but it's basically that like, you know, you're out looking for money. Like I need a loan. I need someone. And that desperation just mm -hmm. stinks and people smell it a mile away. And and, yeah. and really it's not even so much of just like psychologically, let's position myself as the prize, which you talk about too, but it's like, believe it because you are, you know, they yeah. can't do what you're doing in this relationship. They can't do it. 
they may have the money, but they that's it. They don't have the ability to do the things that you're doing in terms of finding houses and and all that, which is really important. And it's a it's a huge mindset shift. And honestly, it takes I have found it takes more than one conversation with people to get them to yeah. really buy into that concept because they go, oh yeah, yeah, I'm the prize, and then they're like, I hope someone will give me money, you know. Uh, so it's like you're yeah. you're going back into that desperation, like please help me. And yeah. you just looks it looks weak, and it's not attractive to anybody. You know, it's just like when you, you go to a bar to meet somebody. If you're desperate, you, good luck. It just doesn't work that well. You know, confidence is attractive in all phases of life. So, I think that's huge. You, you know, you you brought up a concept. It's something really funny. Um, and I'll keep it short because I'm not the guest here. But the secret identity thing is mm. so so spot on to what I did when I got into real estate. My wife and I, we didn't tell our family. And we didn't tell our kids, we didn't tell our parents, we didn't tell our friends, we didn't tell anybody until we thought, until we're successful, we're not going to tell anybody because in our minds, we were like so fragile that if someone came at us hard with how stupid we were, we might falter, like we might actually maybe stop. So <clears throat> the, the, the real funny ending of this is we didn't tell anybody. But at one point when we had flipped a few houses and, and we were kind of like at RIAs and things... And I had this Facebook business page, the the local, I'm in the Metro Detroit area, the local, like the biggest newspaper in Metro Detroit contacted me and said, hey, we're doing this article on, on investors. And it was like 2009. We're doing this article on investors. Would you be interested in being interviewed? And I'm like, sure, no problem. Figured it's going to be a blurb on page, you know, one, you know, Z or, you know, seven Z of the paper. No one will ever see it. Next thing you know, front page, Sunday morning paper. Oh, our wow. faces, our picture, this big article. And I went to my parents' house for dinner that day, my wife and I, and they hadn't gotten the paper yet. And that my, the phone rings and my mom goes, they're what? What are you talking about? They're sitting right here. What do you mean they're on the front page of the... And that's how my family found out we were flipping houses because we were featured on the front page of the local paper. Wow. It was like crazy. So I was like, that's wow, hilarious. Cats I out of the bag. Yeah, it was just nuts. It was not... We didn't mean to do it that way, obviously, but at least it's like, <laughs> surprise, we're flipping houses and we're being interviewed for it. So... Anyways, wow. but that secret identity thing, the, you know, the, the way I found money, and I didn't have your book when I started, so the way I found money and the advice I got, which was sound, and, and you, you, you talk about this too, is that whole secret identity, it's when I started putting what we were doing on the internet, specifically mm -hmm. Facebook at that time, mm -hmm. people started coming to us like, hey, how do we get involved? Like, I want, I want, to, I want to be a lender or I want to be a partner with you. Like, I want to get on this ride that you're on. It looks really awesome. And I had, at that point, hadn't done much at all. Like, people were just coming to us and throwing money. So uh, that secret identity thing really hit home with me. And it was just, I think a lot of people do it because they don't want to hear the naysayers. So they just keep it. But that that's hurting you in terms of raising money. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It really is. It's, you know, you... I, I love the way you phrase it, that, you know, you were so fragile in it that you were afraid, you know, one wrong word and you guys were just going to give it up. And I get it. You know, I've been there too in a lot of different things. And I think that's something that resonates with everyone. Um, and so you have to kind of walk that fine line between wanting to protect your dream <sighs> and wanting everybody to know, because fundamentally, the people who like you, know you, trust you, have an innate desire to want to help you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what you're doing by kind of hiding behind this secret identity, right, hiding your secret identity is like you're not allowing people to do what they do best. And that's help you. Right. To connect you with people that can help you or, or to bring money uh, to your um, to your company or to, hey, you know, 
my neighbor is selling their house and can you help them? You know, all these types of things happen magically, right? When you, when people just know what the heck it is that you're doing and yeah. it's, I, I get it. I understand the reason why people do it, but you know, sometimes I just want to shake them and, you know, if I'm being <laughs> honest, maybe even give them a nice little uppercut, you know, and say, snap out of it. <laughs> exactly. And just like let everybody know, because seriously, that's how you get the best stuff. It's something that I used to talk about and I don't really talk about it much anymore, but it's exactly this. I used to uh, call it the cognoscente method. And it just means cognoscente is a word that means uh, expert. And so people used to come to me and say, well, Susan, you know, how do you get all these really great real estate deals? Do you, how do you market for them? And I'm like, I don't, right. All I do is tell people what I'm doing online and then they're automatically attracted to that. It's that alignment. If people see the energy and see the activity and see the results and see the outcomes that you're getting and, and honestly, like see the excitement and the passion that you bring to it, they just want to be a part of it any way that they can. And they're yeah. going to do whatever they can to help. Are you still, this is a side note, but are you still like doing deals or is it all like syndication, bigger stuff, kind of an investor or, or brokering money? Or are you like finding houses and buy, buying them to hold or, or flipping them or wholesaling or doing any of that kind of stuff? Is that is that part of your current strategy? Currently, I don't do any residential at all. Okay. And I should probably zoom out. I don't do any active real estate investing anymore. Okay. So I don't have any residential, um, uh, you know, holdings like a mom and pop landlord. I don't yeah. have, I don't do flips. I don't do, I mean, honestly, I, I live in Southern California and I just want to play tennis. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the real truth. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And that's but sort I, of the goal, I, I right? Don't. We don't want to always be like, oh, I got to get out there and get that next deal or I'm not going to be able to eat. Like, that's not really the point. I don't think anybody goes into it with that in, in mind. No, 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 no. And so I made a decision a couple of years ago that I was going to get away from all forms of what I call active investing and just go to true passive investing. And for me on the real estate side, you know, it comes down to a couple of things. Number one, diversification. Mm -hmm. And number two, uh, uh, passive. So I wanted to make sure that my overall portfolio was as diverse as it possibly could be because I, you know, a lot of us got caught kind of with our pants down around 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. way over leveraged in real estate. Um, and so I immediately like got rid of all my residential holdings and focused just on like at that time, multifamily syndication, um, because I was able to leverage my skill set right into deals people, yeah. you know, because the, the problems that the smaller investors have and the newbie investors have when they're trying to raise like a hundred thousand dollars or whatever to buy their first house is no different right? Then an experienced investor who's trying to raise like $150 million for their next uh, multifamily development project in downtown LA, right. right? Right. Everybody needs money. So don't think that just because, you know, you're going to have more experience or you're going to have a bigger portfolio or you're going to have, you're going to be more connected or more skilled at this, that suddenly your money problems are going to disappear forever because they don't. Right. So I have a special skill and I'm able to kind of leverage myself into these larger syndications uh, because I can, I can help people get money, right? I can yep. kind of bring uh, the ability to raise capital, how to structure the private placements appropriately, um, you know, how to, I've got a lot of hedge fund uh, connections from back in the day that I can, you know, bring other money into just because I say, hey, I'm with these guys. So there's a, 
a certain level of expertise, kind of going back to that cognoscente method, right? I have a certain level of expertise that I can bring to a deal and I can leverage that with very little effort on my part and not bringing a single penny of my own money. So I'm nice. in, I'm done. And then I just kind of sit back and collect the paycheck forever. And that's what I like. That's awesome. And it, it kind of dovetails into what I want to talk about next. You talk about don't look at yourself as full-time or part-time, look at yourself as big time in big the book, time. right? And that's yeah. kind of what you're talking about, I think, there a little bit. It just don't look at this as like a little hobby or something you do. Like just if you're gonna do it, like do it and and do and it. shoot shoot a little bit higher than that. And I think that's how people can escape that that rat race that we kind of get into when we start. And some people love it. Like some people love living high. Like that's just they love it. I, I've talked to people and uh I, I'm part of a mastermind too and and people like go you know, we're they want to scale and they want to grow and I want to have this big business. But they're like, but I love I love the work inside the house. Like, well, listen, you know, you're only one person. So you can't scale you, just you, right? You have to bring in a team and, and you have to step out of that if you wanna if you wanna own a business that's bigger than just you. But I like that concept of of big time. Is uh, that something you did right from the beginning? Were you like, I know I want to be big time, or did you start off like, oh, I'm part time, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't tell people I'm an investor. Like, I think you did kind of start that way. Is that accurate or? It's totally accurate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I was working. I was the car rental girl. I yeah. worked at. I went straight to work at in the car rental industry when I was a what was I was nineteen, so I was maybe a sophomore in college, I guess. And uh, I worked at Dollar Rent a Car for five years, and then I worked at Hertz for seemed like forever. I think it was only maybe 11 years or so. <laughs> but I, you know, for me, the way that it happened was I was working at Hertz and, you know, kind of researching ways to make money. And so we were doing a lot of different things. One of the first things we did, I studied tax lien investing. So I like kind of inadvertently did a syndicate where I just went to work and told my friends, all right, everybody, tomorrow, bring all of your money and I'm going to take it. And then I'm going to go to the tax lien auction at the county. And we're going to buy these tax liens. And we're going to make 16% interest. And so how's that sound? And they're all like, okay. So I was like, oh, that was easy. <laughs> so we, we got these four liens and three of them paid off. And I was like, wow, that was very cool, right? Yep. Uh, and then one of them didn't pay off. And we ended up like applying for the treasurer's deed. And we're the proud owners still of this like ridiculous piece of vacant property in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, <laughs> which is I keep it as a lesson to always do my due diligence. Um and then it just kind of mushroomed from there. And I remember being thinking, well, this might be a nice part-time thing, right? Because at that point I was all in and on the, the fast track at Hertz corporate. Yeah. I mean, I was like gunning to go to corporate and which I did. And I found myself at the corporate headquarters back East. Um, and then I was on the road for like three weeks a month. I was mm. a national sales trainer. And so I spent a lot of nights alone in hotel rooms in strange cities, uh, watching weird late night TV. Yeah. And who did I see? Carlton Sheets every <laughs> night saying, yeah. how to invest in real estate with no money down. And I'm like, all right, I'll buy off on that. So <laughs> did I you ordered, buy the CDs or the tapes or whatever? The VHS. Oh, tapes. that's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. We're talking about old school now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got the VHS tapes and started <laughs> looking at it. And I thought, well, I'm doing all this traveling anyway. I might as well, you know, make it interesting because I have all this time. And uh, then it just kind of mushroomed from there. I ended up leaving Hertz, um, kind of golden parachuted out of there after we went public. Uh, Ford spun us off and I was able to uh, have a nice windfall uh, on the stock and came back, went back home to Colorado, 
bought a house and went to work for myself and decided I'm going to try and do something in investing. What I realized very quickly was that the investing, like fixing and flipping, not for me. I mean, I'm bad at managing a crew and trust me, nobody wants to live in a house that I personally ever <laughs> not safe. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's fine. Uh, and so I'm like, what can I do, right? I need to be in this somehow, but I'm not exactly sure how. And it was always about the money, right? So I decided yeah. to open up a mortgage company, became a licensed mortgage broker. And uh, my whole mortgage company was focused just on financing and funding for real estate investors. Oh. We didn't do any primary residence mortgages or anything, no second homes. It was all investment. And nice. so because we specialized that way, obviously, you know, we got a lot of clients. Uh, and then for what we couldn't fund with regular loan programs, that's what we started raising private money for. Cause I was like, Hey, I'm doing this for myself. Maybe I could broker some of this private money for you guys too. And then that ended up mushrooming into a full on uh, private equity hedge fund that I managed for a couple of years. And we were making hard money loans out of that fund. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just, it just kind of mushroomed from there. And when I was at Hertz, my God, are you kidding me? Like I was going to tell my grandmother, oh, grandma, guess what? <laughs> I'm doing uh, no money down real estate now. Yeah. She'd have been like, no, you're not, right? You're yeah. absolutely not doing that. You're on the corporate track at Hertz. You're going to retire from there with a gold watch and a giant pension. <laughs> Don't lose focus. <laughs> yeah, it's right? funny. I, <laughs> it's funny. In real estate, when I finally went full time, I, I told my wife, if I can save a year's salary, then I want to go full time. And if something doesn't go right, we, you know, eight months in, I still have plenty of time to go back and find a job and we don't have to worry about it. So <clears throat> I did that. Uh, I got, I got into real estate later in life, uh, had some life events derail me, but at the end of the day, I was like close to, I was like 40 basically. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell my parents, they're super union, like Michigan automotive, you know, pro union kind of thing. So I took them out to dinner and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do this. And my dad was like, I think you're making a mistake. <laughs> like that's, yeah. you know, and I had already like crushed it for like three or four years. And I was like, just making money like crazy. It was going well. It's just funny that mentality. Yeah. It's like, you have a good job. Well, why would you leave it? It's like, well, this is what I want to do. But, you know, just getting into you leaving your job and we don't have to go into it, but I'll, I'll tease the book a little bit. Your story about the sign from God about when you were going <laughs> to quit your job was awesome. Like I was laughing out loud when I was reading that. That is so great. And it's so like, listen, I'm not going to get the subtle hint here. So give me something big. So you guys, I'm not even going to tell you what it was, but go read the book just to find that story alone is is worth it to me. Um, yeah, as I was going through, by the way, I'm, I'm like dog earing the book, like things that I want to make sure we talk about highlighting. And it's like, it's re I was like, I can't dog ear every page. This is stupid. I'm, I'm, I might as well just read the book on the air. Um, but just lots of great stories. And, and what I loved about it too, is it's, you're so like real. And I know people tell you this, but like, it's, yeah. you're so relatable. It's like, I don't feel like I'm reading this book of this professor who thinks I'm a moron. You know, it's just yeah. like, we're kind of both doing this and this is what I did. And the yeah. way you wrote the book, by the way, I appreciate 
appreciate because I have, I think I have functional ADD and it's like the chapters are not that long, but like within the chapters, there's, there's subjects that you break down into like paragraphs. Like, so you, you kind of feel like you get to this, like this subject or this, this topic and you're done with it in like a paragraph. It's so like, you could just speed through this thing. But anyways, that's a a little bit of a a side note, but I love that. And And thanks for that feedback. And that was by design, by the way, because I think I suffer from that same entrepreneurial ADD that you have. I think a lot of us have it. Well, it was when I was like working with my editor on the book, you know, I was like, look, I need a way for me (laughs) to be able to find the stuff. Right. So I can't look at a big block of, you know, words and try and pick out the good parts. I'm like, I want, I want very, you know, small paragraphs. I, I want, I want it to sound exactly like I talk. Um, you know, I, yeah. I don't want somebody to like pick up a book and not be able to get a sense of me in it. Yeah. And I'm glad you made that point of, you know, we're in this together. You know, a lot of people come to me for training and, uh, and in the past, you know, for real estate coaching and I'm happy to do it. And I really love that stuff, but there comes a time like, you know, as you get better and better at what you do and more people start coming and people start learning about you, they kind of put you up on like this weird pedestal of like, oh, you're the expert and you've really done it. And right. I remember being at an event one time and like people waited in line to get pictures with me and get autographs. And I was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> what is even happening right now? Right. And I was like, people, no, 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 no. Like I'm you, right? This, uh, the only reason why I wrote a book and why you're reading my book, book to learn from it and why you're not like where I am right now is because two things. One, I started a little bit earlier and two, I was on a friggin' mission, right, to dial this thing in and to to get it done. Yeah, um, we're all in the same boat, right? Mm-hmm. We've all had to, at some point. We're all going to have the same experiences. My goal with writing the book was to shorten the learning curve and to eliminate some of the yuckier experiences with regarding uh, with regard to funding projects. Right, that's it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love the the quotes that you put at the beginning of the chapters. And there was one I don't remember what chapter it was, but life begins at the end of your comfort zone. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's so great because I think sometimes people want to do not just finding money, but they want to build a business and they want to have all these things. But it's like they don't want to change their daily routine. Like I want to watch Netflix for five hours, and I you know <laughs> like I just want to hang out with my friends. Like well, you know that's fine, but you're never going to get where you want to go. What tell me about you, you talk about elevator pitch and in yours you you mention it. I don't know if this still is, but you mention it a lot in the book that I put together lucrative real estate deals so my partners make safe, consistent profits. Very succinct, mm-hmm. follows a, a formula. How important it is for people to have that when they go to talk to people about money? God, it's huge. It's everything. Seriously, it's where it all starts. Um, you know, you have to have something that gets people curious about what they're doing enough to say, hey, uh, tell me more about that. Right. So that kind of mission statement or really a value statement, you know, you can call it an elevator pitch, you can call it whatever, but I kind of call it like a value statement because that's the value that I put into the world. Right. I do help people do that. Um, It's it was a way for me to find people who were going to be in alignment with that message and who wanted to, to learn more because an interesting thing happens when you say that. And trust me, I've tried all sorts of different versions of this. And when I first started, people were like, so, you know, what do you do? And it was like word vomit. Like I gave, I, like I was just <laughs> reciting war and peace and, you know, and then yeah. the people's eyes were glazing over and they're like looking for a way to run away. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can hear myself talking and even I'm like, what is happening right now? Shut up, shut up, quit talking, you know? It's the world's most boring speech. Yeah. 
So I worked on it and that was, you know, the very dialed in message. And it was just honestly the one that got the best reaction from people, their head would kind of snap and, you know, they would focus and they'd say, wait a minute, what, what did you just say? Oh, well, how, how, how can I get involved in that? Or how, how can I be a part of that? Or how exactly do you do that? And so it's just a way to, to initiate that conversation. Yeah. It works really well. And I have a funny story for you with regard to that too. Okay. So I was, you know, I talk about that. I teach it. I wrote about it. It's out there. Right. And people are like, oh, you know, is it okay if I copy it? I'm like, it's not copywritten. Like, how would I know? Like, of course, use it. You know, it works, right? Yeah. This is all about, you know, you spent the 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever for the book. And this is you shortening your learning curve. That's what you spent that 20 bucks for. Um, so anyway, I was, we were living still in Denver. I live in Southern California now, but we were still in Denver and we went to a holiday party, a big kind of fancy soiree. Like, you know, you have to get dressed up and there yeah. are fancy people yeah. there, blah, blah, blah. So they had it catered and they had a bar. And so I went over to the bar and the bartender was looking at me really funny. And I'm like, what's up with this dude? Right. Like whatever. Like, right. he's like, can I help you? I was like, yeah, I'll have a vodka tonic. So he's, he gave me this big smile and he's like, wait right here. And he like runs away. And I'm like, Oh, great. Now the bartender's gone. He's, you know, and so I'm like, what is going on? Anyway, he comes back and he hands me his business card. He's a real estate investor. And guess what was printed on the back of that card? That elevator, that, that value proposition. Yeah. Yeah. That's I was hilarious. like, are you kidding me right now? And he's like, can I just hug you? And I was like, yes. So he came around and he hugged me and then he gave me my cocktail and I almost choked because he, it was like all vodka with like a splash of tonic. Doing you a solid. I know. He's like, I gave you like a triple and I'm like, oh man, you're going to have to call me an Uber too exactly. after this. But it's out there and I love it. That's right? great. That is so great. God, that's so funny. Um, I love that. So, okay. Uh, when one thing I get to, like, I want to, I want to hear your, I don't want to pre, um, I don't want to predetermine anything here when people ask you, and I, I'm sure they probably do. When I talk to an investor, someone who maybe I don't know currently what they're getting as a return and things like that, what, what terms should I offer? Like, how do you, how do you determine, and I'm asking a loaded question because I read the book. So, but how do you, how do you determine, answer. I do know the answer, but I, I want to <laughs> hear you say it. Um, how do you, how do they know what terms to offer someone? And they don't just blurt out well, 15% because they know they can, they can, you know, like, how right. do you handle that? Yeah. So it's such a great question. And this is seriously like the number one question that I get. Well, how, what do I offer them? What do I pay? What percentage? What do I give them? And it's so the first thing that I ask in response to that question that they ask is what can the deal afford to pay? Right. So the first level is is doing your due diligence and running the numbers on what your investment is to understand deeply. Right have a real handle on exactly how much you can afford to pay for debt, right? Yep. So if you can afford, you know, and I've looked at numbers and these can be very lucrative. And if just because you can afford to pay somebody 15 or 20%, doesn't mean you should. Right. Right. And again, this comes from experience. So a couple of things will happen if you pop off, you know, with this giant number right out of the gate, people are going to think you're, are we allowed to say a bad word on your podcast? Go for it. People are going to think you're full of shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just, you know, they're not going to believe you. They're going to think you're a scammer. And the higher the return that you offer, even if you can pay it, the farther and the faster they're going to run. Totally. 
That is such a crazy concept to get into people's heads too. Like I can pay 15%. People will love it. No, you will scare the hell out of them. Yeah. 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 Nobody will believe you. Right. My own uncle didn't even believe me. He told me no when I told him that. He's like, nice try, kid. I was like, wait, (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Bill, come on, man. I can do it. He's like, yeah, prove it. Right. Yep. Uh, so the way that I solved this, because again, we're all in this together and I've been down this road, I developed what I call the magic question. Uh, and so instead of me leading with what I could pay them, I asked them this question, the money that you're considering investing in my deal, what is it currently earning? Yep. And then go from where whatever their answer is. So typically, the answers are going to be on the very low side. Shockingly low. Yeah, shockingly low. I've heard everything from, you know, negative percents (laughs) to like, one, two, three percent, five percent, whatever, right. And so if it's low enough, then my like, if if I say the money that you're considering investing with me, what's the earning now, and they pop off with 3%. Then I think about it for a minute. And if I come back with my next question, which I do, and I say, okay, 3%, huh? What if I could double it? Yep. Then they freak out. But get this. You're paying 6% now for private money. Exactly. Yeah. And for everyone listening right now, how much would you freak out if you had private money at 6%? People who are using hard money or whatever. Like, it's crazy. And, and, and the, the, by the way, you're making that person ecstatic. You've doubled their oh, yeah. returns. You doubled it. They're yeah. so happy. And you're so happy, right? Because you're like, dang, I didn't have to give up 15%. I right. can get by with six. Yep. We had a contest, right, with some people that I was working with, some students, uh, you know, right after getting the money first came out. And it's like, let's use the magic question and then report back and let's see who can pay the lowest interest rate. And we, the winner still, she hasn't been beaten. Her name is Roberta Eastman. She got private money for for 3.55%. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So if you could raise capital, (laughs) you could pay three and a half percent for your investment capital. OMG. Yeah. Okay, that's the way you do it. Absolutely. That's how you make the big bucks and that's how you scale this business. How do you tell people to deal with the imposter syndrome, right? Where they go, I don't, Ugh. I don't know anything. Like, why would they give money to me? I'm not good. I don't, I don't have experience. Like people who are wrestling with this, you know, I'm nobody kind of a thing. That's such a great question. Um Thank you. And if <laughs> <you're welcome. laughs> if I'm being honest, seriously, and I suspect that that you're going to be feeling this a little bit too. I still, I have imposter syndrome. Yeah. I still do. I I suffer from it. Not every day, but you know, occasionally. And it's like, Oh my God, like what, you know, why, why am I the person? What, why do they think that I'm the cool one? Why do they think I have the answer? Like, am I qualified to do this? I remember the first big event that I put on, it was a big three day event in Denver. And we had like about 250, 270 in the room in this ballroom in a hotel. And it was all me for three days. And, wow. you know, I was getting mic'd up in the back and they were playing like my, you know, Beyonce song on stage. Yeah. And I just remember being back there with my, uh, my media guy. And I just looked at him. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, 
I know. No, I'm the car rental girl. I can't go on a stage and like hold somebody's attention and give them anything good for three days. These 270 people paid to fly out here to see this. It's like, are you kidding me? I just need to give them all their money back right now and go home and probably just go back to work at Hertz because this is ridiculous. <laughs> That's funny. You're right. I do feel that. I think everyone, do- well, I don't know, maybe not our president, but everyone yeah. feels it pretty much. I think that imposter syndrome, I, I have done the same thing. I, you know, I- I've spoken, I've been um, fortunate enough to be on stage a few times. And right before you go on, you you do sort of have this like, what in the heck am I doing? Like, this mm-hmm. is crazy, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know. It's humbling, especially when you have kids and like a dog that goes to the bathroom in the house. Like I'm cleaning up poop right now. Like if people could only see me now. Um, well, you know, that's why we don't talk about dog training or child rearing, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I got a question for you. I, I think you covered this in the book, but I, I'm just want to get your opinion on this. When people are starting out and let's just say they've done a few deals and they know they've got like consistent lead flow and things. Do you do you suggest or do you see value in pooling money as opposed to getting like a deal, money for a deal, paying that money back and then going out and getting money for the next deal? You've, you talked a little bit about pooling or you at least alluded to it in the book. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? I think it's fantastic. I think that being able to pool the capital like that from multiple investors um, really gives you some major efficiencies. So there are a couple of ways that you can do that. The first way, the first level and the easiest way is with something that we call a fractionalized note, right? Mm -hmm. So I can have, if let's say I'm buying a a house and my purchase price is say it's $100,000. Well, and this is true story, by the way, this is routinely what would happen to me. I'd, you know, have this uh, spreadsheet of private money partners that were working with me. And I'd have in one column, like, this is exactly how much they have. I call it total capacity. Mm-hmm. And then the next column, like how much uh, we have put to use. So that's how much we have borrowed so far. And then, you know, just what's the next column? It's their total capacity minus what we have on loan. And that equals their uh, current capacity. So the amount of money that they have now to invest with us. And so if a property at that point, um, when I was actively doing this on residential properties way back in the day, my average price point, my all in that I needed to raise per deal was about $170,000. That was the average. Okay. And so I'd go down that list. And if somebody had 170, then I'd be call them and say, Hey, 170. And they'd be like, I'm in. But then what happened, right, is I went on the list and nobody had uh, 170 anymore. Like, I call it remnant money. Like, one guy would have, like, 40, one guy would have 30, one guy would have 90, whatever. So they had all this remnant money that I couldn't use because I couldn't find deals that were that cheap. And then they were mad because they had remnant money that wasn't earning money. It wasn't on loans. So it was just sitting there, like, put my money to work. Mm -hmm. So I came up with this mechanism. Um, it's just a it's a fractionalized trust deed. So it's it just means that the deed has mo- it's uh, that is the security for multiple promissory notes, and so I would issue promissory notes to each individual investor equal to the amount that they were putting in. And I could have separate terms. I could have separate rates and everything. So if Bob came, you know, I have $170,000 deal. If Bob came with 50, then I could give Bob like, you know, 5%. If Jane came with a hundred, I could give her maybe 7%. Uh, And if somebody, you know, a couple of other people kind of brought up the rear, I could do whatever I wanted with them. Right. So that's the first level. And that worked really well. 
but it still wasn't as efficient as it could be or it could have been at that time. So that's okay. when we went to pooling and when I put together the fund. The way that you can pool now is just with a fund like that, with a straight up private placement, if it's going to be a larger deal, or you can get it done with like a simple LLC by, you know, putting multiple investment partners and yourself in the LLC. They're the members, you're the managing member. Mm -hmm. um, yep. There are lots of ways to do it. And I think that when you are working with one pot of money, it becomes a lot easier to coordinate on the front end yeah. and the back end, honest, honestly, than if you, you know, have to deal with like multiple separate entities on the front lender entities on the front end. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And that, that's good. That's kind of where I thought you were going with that. But that's yeah, that's that's great. Because I think that you're right, it gets a little bit cumbersome. And frankly, what I find, and I've done a similar thing is that my lender sometimes gets kind of gets tired of like, okay, here's your payoff, you know, note, and then send me another note. And then we'll, 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 uh, you know, we'll get a, um, um, what I'm trying to think here, a notary and we'll get this all set up. It's like all this back and forth paperwork. I've had yeah. lenders say, can we just, can you just hold it? Or like, yeah. can we do something where we don't have to keep doing this back and forth with the documentation? It's, it's exhausting, you know? So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's all the stuff that you avoid when you can pull it that way or even put together a small fund. And right. honestly, that's what happened with my very first private money partner, Rick, you know, I, his first deal was done and I was getting ready to pay him back. And I was so proud, you know, I wanted to like go to, uh, office max and get one of those giant checks like from yeah. publishers clearing house <laughs> yeah. you know go to his house yep. and i was like oh man that's gonna be so great take a picture of it it's the first you know and i was like all geeked out and so i didn't do that by the way because they were way too expensive i'm like 50 bucks you kidding me for a giant check no way <laughs> so anyway I just like you know met with them i'm like meet me at, we would meet for coffee and so i met with them and i'm like i have you know great news and i you know went to uh, give him his payoff and his release of lien and all that stuff. And he like put his hands up, like he refused to even take the package. He was like, he, you know, like if you're a robber and you're like, stick him up, yeah. like his hands went up like that. I'm like, what here, take it. And he's like, no, I don't want it. He's like, I don't want that money. He goes, you put that money right back to work. Don't give it to me. That's awesome. I was like, wow. Okay. Let's do it again. That's that's so great. <laughs> so, all right. So when you're, okay, we talked about like after you're giving the money back, it's a super like fun and usually pretty easy meeting. When you're, when you're having, <laughs> unless they refuse to take, yeah, unless they refuse to take the money, but even that is a good problem, right? It's like, right? it's weird, but it's like, it's not scary. Um, oh. When you're talking to people for the first time, or you're you're pre, you're you're kind of presenting the the opportunity to them, you mention in the book um, the five presentation flaws, which are, and we'll just kind of go through them quickly here. Too much detail too soon. We talked about that, right? Just like bleh, just just die or just puking all over information over them, which I did, and a lot of people do. They feel like the more information you give them, the better, and it's not that it's not the case. You're going to nope. scare most people. Um, presentation too vague or convoluted. I did that. No strong call to action. Totally did that. Um, no coolness factor. I definitely did that too because I thought I had to be super buttoned up um, and neediness, right? We, we cover those in, in individually, but those are the things that I think probably if not every person makes, then they're making four out of the five probably, you know, um, in, in that those are like, it really, it's a, it's a compensation thing. A lot of times, like I thought I had to be buttoned up, give them all the information. I was needy. So there was no way I could wash that off. I, I was just as needy as could be. <laughs> um, and the, and my presentation was vague and convoluted and I was going down rabbit holes and it just, it didn't make no sense, you know? And, and the crazy yeah. thing is, was I still was able to raise some money until I got better at that. I was, I raised more money, but like even doing it poorly, 
if you're diligent, like you can get money, but these are the yeah. things that everyone does wrong and and you just need to understand. Just like call I've had people and I know you you recommend like a one page like 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 a mission statement or like a business plan and kind of like show them that. But I think it's that's not going to make them lend you money. Like you will be the thing that makes them lend you money. And then some people are just the type of personality that wants some data. So you're going to satisfy that person. But I've had people who I brought a whole like big presentation, like this big thing. Nope. And they're like, I don't even want, I can't, I don't know what this is. I can't look at this. Like, just tell me what you're doing, you know? Yeah. So it's surprising how little some people need to loan you money. It's, it's downright shocking, honestly, sometimes. But yeah, you know, our initial kind of discussions with these with these potential uh, private money partners, right, you're not going to, again, you're not like, you're not, I mean, it's like how marketers always talk about when you first meet somebody, like, do you ask them out on a date? Or do you like say, hey, let's go straight to the honeymoon? It's like, right. no, like, we just can't like go back and get busy. I just met you. I don't know even what you're doing right now. I need right. more detail and we'll get to that later over time. But this is just a way to kind of gauge interest, right? Yep. Um, and so when we walk in and we just kind of, I'll go back to that phrase. It's gross, but it's so appropriate word vomit all over somebody, yeah. you know, then the more we talk, the more opportunity we give ourselves to talk that person out of investing in our deal. Yep. Right. Because what that does is it kind of puts them on the defensive and then they start looking for, okay, well, if this person like is really, really trying to sell me this hard on this thing, what's the catch? Yeah. Right. Um, and I agree with you, like that one page kind of, you know, mini business plan, you don't even really need that. I mean, I've just kind of walked into places and the Mexican restaurant, the name that escaped you before, it's La Loma. That's where I Loma, raised yeah. the majority of my private <laughs> money back in the day. And we used to walk into that Mexican restaurant and I always go, do you smell that? And people would say, what? It's money. Do you smell the money? Right? <laughs> it smelled like cheese and tacos. But, exactly. Um, smelled like money to me still. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just want to, you just want to lead with that value statement. And then if somebody says, wow, well, how do you do that? Then you just explain as succinctly as you can exactly how you do that. And if you have a deal, just kind of give them some high level details about the deal. And then if they're like, all right, let me learn more. Then you set up a time to meet. Right. Yeah. And then uh, in the meeting is when you're really probably going to go over more of the details and uh, the terms of the deal, the interest rate, uh, you know, the maturity of the note and yep. the payback and all those details that they need to know um, and have them sign a, uh, you know, your, your agreement and you're off to the races. So it's it's really a super simple process. But you're right. Those are the five ways that you can completely sabotage your deal. Uh, or the likelihood that you're going to get private money. Yeah. It's, you know, I should say it's, it's a, it, at the end of the day, it's a numbers game, right? So when you made the comment, and I love that you did that, that, you know, look, even though I was making all these mistakes, I still managed to raise some capital uh, despite, you know, these mistakes. Yep. It's true because you were diligent about it and you were probably pitching and pitching and making a lot of presentations. Yep. Um, it's just that the successful presentations will start to increase and outpace the unsuccessful presentations as you start to layer in the effectiveness and uh, eliminate some of these mistakes that you're making. Yep. And combined with a lot of the things we've already talked about that you've mentioned in the book, uh, just putting yourself out there, like don't hide what you're doing. Like the more people you let know and the more people you talk to about what you're doing, 
you know, the air quotes luckier you're going to get with people who are interested in investing with you. And and like you said, the more you do these, these meetings and these, you know, these investor meetings and, and you relax a little bit and just, you know, wipe the stink of neediness off of you because you've raised a little bit of money. It, that's the thing too. It's interesting. Sometimes the more money you raise, the easier it is. And it's not because necessarily you've gotten so great at it. It's because you stop needing it, you know? And it's like, yeah. as soon as you stop needing it so dang bad, it'll come a little easier. You know, it's just hard to not feel like it's not, it's hard. I used to get, I used to say this, it's hard to not project that neediness when I am needy. Like I need the money, (laughs) you know, like how do I stop projecting something that is just oozing out of my pores? Um, Like you're not Robert De Niro. You can't, you can't act your way out of it. That's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And it's a good point. And I think that there's, um, there's a, another, a deeper level that we can take that specific point to. And you said that, you know, you kind of eliminate that neediness when you have enough capital that you don't need it anymore. But I would kind of go a little bit further than that and say, you know, for the new person, they're probably thinking, Oh, well, great. Well, now I, I'm going to be needy (laughs) until I have a lot of money and I don't need it anymore. And then it's like the the problem people have with banks. They only want to loan you money when you don't need it. Right. Right. So what I always say is, uh, you know, the other big question that I get is when should I raise private money? Should I raise it after I get the deal signed or before I have the deal? And most people are really hesitant to raise private capital before they actually have a deal because then they're like, well, I won't even have any specifics or anything to talk to them about. But here's the thing that I discovered when I started raising capital before I actually got a deal, my the neediness automatically went away. Yeah. Because what happens is if you raise capital only after you like sign a purchase agreement, then the clock is ticking on yeah. your earnest money, right? Yep. You got what typically like 14 days in order to pull together the funding. Yep. Well, now you're running around town like a chicken with your head cut off, right? And you're there's no way you're gonna be able to not act needy because you're gonna be covered in neediness. Yeah. You're needy. It, totally. And and maybe worse, you have 14 days to pull together funding, but a lot of times you only have 24 or 48 hours before that you can just get out, you know, like before you have to like give them the earnest money, right? Yeah, so you're you're hard. putting sure. down that earnest money, and and for some people that's like a you know might as well be a billion dollars. It's all they have. So True. yeah, that's yeah. that's great. You you mentioned to a book called Pitch Anything, and I've not read that book, but I'm going to now. And but in the book, one of the things I pulled out that you talked about was prizing. Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain what that means a little? What prizing is? Absolutely. So Oren Claff, who he's a friend of mine, and he's uh, he basically does what we do, but he does it as a hired gun for companies okay. right, outside of the real estate space. Um, and so he's somebody that that people hire to go and raise private money, you know, and that's what we call it. We call it private money in real estate. They yep. call it investment capital, right, on the VC side, mm-hmm. venture capital side. Uh, and so he, that's what he does. He's a hired gun to do that. And he wrote a really great book, as you just mentioned. And, um, the, one of the concepts in the book that he talks about pricing basically means that, that we need to understand that the prize isn't, um, isn't the investor, right? So when we're pitching someone, the prize isn't them, right? Because you kind of alluded to this earlier. What do they bring to the table? The only thing they bring to the table is money. Yep. And if there's one thing we know about money, we may like try not to believe it because the scarcity mindset is so ingrained in us. But if there's one thing that we truly do know about money, it's ubiquitous, Mm -hmm. right? Look at our government. We don't have enough money. Fine, we'll just print more. There's always money. Yep. 
and there's always going to be more money. There's plenty of money and there is way more money out there wanting to invest in real estate than people wanting to actively invest in real estate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. 100%. So they want the advantage, but they don't want to do the work. Kind of like me. They want to be passive investors now. Yeah. So that's when Oren made that that comment and, you know, wrote about that in the book, it was just like, oh man, this like dovetails so nicely with what I teach. And we talked about that. I remember he was in New York and I was in Denver and we were supposed to have a call and he was stuck in a taxi. And we were like on this massive text string where we were like dissecting the specific concept. And it's just so powerful. He's like, you know, the thing that he teaches is that we're the prize, right? That the the private money partner, the potential investor that's sitting across from us, that's not the prize. Us, we're the ones that are sitting across from this money that needs an opportunity to earn more money. And yep. as far as that money is concerned, we are the prize. Yep. And we need to start acting like it. Totally. Yep. It's a mind shift, but it's something you have to do, I think. It's it's super totally. important. Um, you, you also talked about the value of one investor and, and what that means over time. You know, I think in your examples, like you, you borrow 300,000, but then over time you make, you know, a million dollars, depending on how long you use it and what you're using it for. But it, just not thinking of someone in terms of, well, they have a hundred thousand dollars. They're worth a hundred thousand dollars to me. Over time, if you treat them right, if you do what you say you're going to do, if you're diligent and you create that relationship, um, that that one investor over time can be two or three or ten x what they initially invested with you, and I think that was that was super powerful. Even even for me, somebody who's borrowed a lot of money and and and, and been in this a while, it's good to hear that again because it's so true. You know, to not let these people become a commodity or to to treat them in a way that would make them want to just eh, I'm going to go somewhere else like. It's a, that once you find them and you bring them in and you treat them right and and you have that relationship, the value monetarily that they can bring you over time in your business is is several times you know what they initially invest with you. Absolutely, and it's such a great concept, and I'm glad you picked up on that. And it has to do, you know, if we kind of zoom out and we just talk about it in terms of just uh, business, right? Not even specific to real estate. It has to do with customer acquisition versus mm-hmm. customer retention. Yeah. Right. So these private money partners, there are customers, right? We, yep. w- there are customers, they just are. So we have to treat them as such. And I always say, and I, if you have a retail store or another business, you I'm sure agree with me. It's a heck of a lot easier to keep your customers, right. Than yep. it is to go out and find new ones. It's a heck of a lot cheaper too. So when we're talking about raising private capital, one of the things for me personally that I wanted to avoid was having to go out and just pitch endlessly and yeah. always have to come up with new investment partners because no, I didn't, you know, I didn't really want to do that. What I wanted to do was get a really solid core of really responsive private money partners that I could work with over the long term because I don't want to have to go out and acquire new private money partners, I would rather do what I need to do to retain my private money partners, because then you don't have to go out looking for a ton of them. You can get done what you need with like 
I mean, I did everything that I need to do needed to do in my active real estate investing career uh, with maybe a total of 12 or 15 private money partners max. Yeah. And people are usually surprised to hear that. When we go back to the, the point that I made about the power of one, you know, Rick was my very first private money partner. And he's the example that I give in the book. $300,000 was the total capacity that he had. So if we break this down in the example, let's say that my, uh, my, all in price per deal was 150 just to make the numbers even. Mm -hmm. Well, that means if I that I could do two deals at a time just with Rick's money. And at that time, I was doing flips. And so the average time that it took me, you know, to, uh, to get out of a flip was just a, about four and a half months, right? Yeah. So let's just round up and call it six. So now instead of, you know, just I can do two deals simultaneously, and then I can flip that money and do that twice each year. So now I'm doing four flips per year with just Rick's money. Yep. And if my average profit per flip is 25,000, now I've my total profit with just Rick's money, one private money partner, four flips, that's one a quarter. I've made a hundred grand. That's a six figure business right yep. there. Right. Yep. You keep him for 10 years. Boom. Congrats. You just profited a million. You made a million dollars off of Rick's 300,000 bucks. Yep. Absolutely. It's 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 a huge it's a huge concept because you're right. I think people go, oh, I need to get all kinds. I need dozens and dozens of these investors. Don't. No, you don't. You really don't. Um, mm -hmm. You just you just don't. So I, I that was huge. Even like I think everyone needs that message. Everyone needs to be reminded of that again because I think sometimes we're in a turn and burn society where it's like I got this investor, I use them for this deal, and eh, I forgot to communicate. And I just send his paperwork a little bit late. I'll just go find more. It's like, no, man, just cultivate him. It's like, like you said, the cost yeah. of, of acquisition versus retention. And it's always exactly. easier to retain than to acquire. So um, huge, huge good stuff. Um, one thing you mentioned too, and this kind of goes along with what we just said, is um, if you drop the ball, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, but if you drop the ball, you make a mistake, admit you're wrong. Like, just don't don't try to be this I never make mistake person. And then, you know, at some point you have to come back and tell them after the fact what you did or that you maybe covered it up or you weren't being totally honest because you felt like you weren't going to look intelligent or professional or whatever. Like people right. appreciate just knowing the truth. And I think yeah. a lot of times, even if you make a mistake, if you own up to it and you tell them how you're going to fix it, and then you fix it. Like you will, your credibility with them and loyalty factor will skyrocket as opposed to what you might be afraid is going to happen. Oh my God. It, it, it totally does. You're spot on. I mean, the, the worst that we imagine never happens, right? It just never does. And because we've wasted all that time and energy and honestly, emotion worrying about it. Um, we've already experienced it. Yeah. Right. So if you're thinking about the worst that could happen, congrats, that's the worst that could happen. Yeah, <laughs> just <exactly>. Thinking about <laughs> it and having that experience. Yeah. So I always say communicate quickly, good news, and communicate even more quickly the bad news. Yep. Right. Because that's what's going to keep you out of trouble. And be honest. You know, I, I worked with this guy, Naveen. He came to me. He, I mean, this guy owned like a subdivision in Florida. He, it was something crazy, like 135 townhomes or something. Wow. And he was from India and he had um, raised all this capital from his Indian relatives. And it was right around the, right after the time that everything crashed. And so a lot of stuff, especially at that place in, uh, at that, uh, in that area in Florida at that specific time, I mean, lost maybe half of its value, right? It's yeah. a total portfolio. 
So he was having some difficulty making these debt payments. And he was very concerned about what was going to happen and very concerned about not being able to pay people back. And he had already started to kind of fall behind on some things, uh, repayment to his people. And so he came to me and he's like, what, do, what, what can I do? He goes, I, and he was just broken. You know I mean? Just even his body language, just looking yeah. at him, it's like his shoulders were slumped and he just looked gray. And it, I could tell this just was so just weighing on him like crazy. And I'm like, well, what have you told them? He's like, I haven't told them anything, you know, and some of the people who are saying, well, where's my payment? I'm just, I'm not answering their phone calls. And I was like, oh God, that's yeah. like the worst thing that you could do. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, here's what we're going to do. Um, you're going to like reach out to each of them, but you're going to do it in a specific way. It's going to be kind of like a good news, bad news situation. Because at the end of the day, he needed more capital in order to get his portfolio right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, I just don't know where I'm going to be able to get more capital because now nobody will loan any more to me because I've already behaved badly with them. Right. And I'm like, okay. Long story short, not only are you going to communicate what's been going on to your existing private money partners, as part of that communication, you're going to ask them for even more money for your project. And I mean, you should have seen his face when I told him this. He was just like <laughs> uh, looking for the door, like, where, where can I leave? How can I leave? Where can I run? Yeah. And I'm like, let's do it. So he, we did it in such a way we communicated it effectively and we communicated it positively and we were honest with the people and the people were so receptive to that. I think out of like all these people that invested with him, there was only like maybe one dude that was like, forget it. Yeah. I want my money back right now. And then we had so much extra capital. We're like, fine, pay him off. Right. We'll yeah. work with the people who want to be here, who are happy to be here. And it goes back to exactly what I said at the top of this call, the people, if they know what's going on, yeah. if they know you, they like you and they trust you. It's their innate nature to want to help you. Yep. So we just invited everybody to be part of the solution and they loved it. Yep. That's awesome. That's huge. And so now, long story short, his portfolio, like they, it's a family real estate business that he's turned over to his adult children. Hmm. And they also started up a property management company so that they didn't, you know, have to pay a third party to do that. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you really want to do with the rest of your life? He goes, I want to build a meditation center and basically be the next Deepak Chopra. And so I'm like, do that. So that's what he does now. Go, man. I'm like, right on. Nice. Right? Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, when when I was reading your book and and I that was back I don't know 4 years ago I think when you wrote it. Um what do you what, since then like what are you doing now that you're excited about? Like what what types of projects are you working on that people could or should know about or or that you're excited about in general? <laughs> so, um yeah, I we left, well, I, I had a real estate training and coaching business for many years, and I closed that about two years ago. Um, and I just mainly did it because I was, I just was a little bit tired of real estate. I didn't mm -hmm. want to do it like professionally anymore. Um, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm still doing it, right? I, I do still invest, and obviously, I have a nice investment portfolio, but it wasn't what I wanted to make my business anymore. Yeah. So closed the business, and we essentially sold everything in Colorado, and we realized one of our dreams, we moved out here to Southern California. We live just outside of Palm Springs. Um, and so I- Are you jealous that I live in Michigan? I am not <laughs> jealous <laughs> <of> that. <laughs> All right, darn it. Sorry. No one ever is. <laughs> 
Hey, in this, if we were having this conversation in the summertime, yes, because you guys have some of the most gorgeous lake country I think I've ever seen. That's true. And I live in the desert, so I would be very jealous of you. <laughs> but in the winter, not so yeah, much. Yeah, this time of the year, it sort of sucks. Okay. Um, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, you're fine. But, you know, so I'm like, for me, I kind of took a step back and instead of saying, well, what, you know, how much money do I want to make or what do I want to make my next career or my next venture? I took a step back and I said, what do I want my environment and my lifestyle to be? And I wasn't happy in Colorado for some of the same reasons that I'm not jealous of you in Michigan, cold, cold winters. And, you know, these hips don't lie, they are getting older. And if I want to maintain my ability to play tennis for a long, long time, I need to have some warmer bones. Um, And so we moved out here to Southern California. And I knew that I wanted to do something still in investing. But what I like to do is um, analyze stocks and Hmm. other types of income producing investments. So I like to be able now that I have money to put my money out into the world so that it earns money. on a 100% passive basis. And so I just kind of, I have a little strategy for doing that. And we put together a little side business called the Income Investors. And, you know, it's a little membership site that people can join. And we talk about our style of investing about, in a nutshell, it kind of boils down to, you know, we're, we're milking our cash cows as opposed to slaughtering our cash cows is kind of the, the premise there. So it's the Income Investors and, um, it's a lot of fun what we're doing there, building these passive income portfolios. Outside of that, you know, I'm also kind of a serial entrepreneur. I get a lot of opportunity that it comes my way and I haven't, I enjoy marketing and I love writing. I've always loved writing. Um, and so I also am a uh, part owner in a mark, an online based content marketing agency okay. where we work with, Actually, we have a lot of real estate investor clients that we work with putting together like email campaigns and webinars and stuff like really? that. Really? Yeah. So What's we're still kind of do, doing some stuff like behind the scenes. It's called the Squad Agency. <laughs> the Squad. Okay. So it's the squad.agency. Um, and so, you know, we've had guys that I used to work with in the business for a really long time say, you know, we're busy doing deals, but we know that we need to effectively communicate with our customers, our private money partners, our buyers, our sellers, uh, our wholesalers, all those people. So, you know, can you help us do that? And so we do put together, you know, nice. email campaigns and stuff like that. So, Very but cool. mostly tennis. Okay. Mostly tennis. Fair <laughs> enough. Not going to lie. No, that's good. That's good. That I mean, listen, you got to a place in your life where you can do that. And that's, that's huge. That's, I mean, none yeah. of us, I don't think anybody says, I want to go into real estate because you said in your book, like, I just love real estate so much. Even if I had the ability to have free time and spend it with my friends and family, nah, I'm just going to stay. I'm going to I'm gonna flip another house and get in there and do it. Like, we all sort of, nah, I shouldn't say everybody, but I think most people sort of do this so they don't have to do this, you know, at exactly. some point. So It's our, it's the, look, if, if real estate investing is the vehicle that we've chosen, right? is our path to wealth, then that's fine. Stay on that path until wealth is realized. And that's what I did. It's like, all right, I was on the path, did everything I needed to do. I reached the end of the road as far as I was concerned. And then I, I wanted a different type of life for myself. I didn't want to work as hard. I didn't want to do active investing. I wanted it to be completely passive because that's what fits best with my lifestyle. Yep. So that's awesome. Kind of I just kind of flipped it instead of, you know, I spent a lot of years chasing the dollars and just setting these arbitrary revenue goals and trying to find 
ways to hit those, you know, and then it's just not fun. You lose the passion, you lose the focus. So for yeah. me to zoom out and say, instead of how much money do I want to make, it's what kind of a life do I want to live? And then I can work on stuff that I really get excited about that puts great value out into the world. Yep. To me, that's way more fun. That's awesome. I love it. It's a good place to end. I Listen, I said it before, I said in the beginning, and I'll say it again. Uh, one of the the guests that I was have been most excited and looking forward to talking to because what you've done for people is not theoretical. It's real. I've seen it. I, I've talked to people personally, shook their hand, talked to them, and, and I know them personally, who've used just the information in your book to transform their business, to raise money and put them on a path like you're talking about where they're creating wealth that's changing their life. And and for you to do that and and be not only that, like a super cool person on top of it and one of the funnest interviews I've ever done, like thank you very much for that. And, and I know I, I speak for a lot of people when I say thank you very much for putting that out in the world. Oh, Mike, that's, wow, you just gave me goosebumps. You're going to make me tear up a little bit here. <laughs> that was uh, very sweet of you to say, and I absolutely Good. appreciate you and what you're doing and what you're putting out into the world and how you're leading folks. Um, and I'm just, I'm just pleased to be here and to, you know, hopefully we've delivered some value to your listeners and Anytime, man. This awesome. has been a fun one. Anytime you want to do it again, just let me know. Good. I might take you up on that. I, I appreciate that very, very much. And uh, I'm going to let you go with that. But again, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing everything you do. If if uh, I'm, I'm going to... Yeah, normally, I let people give out their information if you want to get a hold of her. But I, I don't know that that's where you're at right now. I mean, you have things out there where people can find you if they want to, unless there's something you really want to give people. But I'm thinking not. No. Okay. I mean, look, hey, <laughs> that's so we'll cool. That's a cool answer I've ever heard. The book. Yeah, like, exactly. Just go to Amazon and get the book because yeah. that's, you're right. I mean, that's really, it, it's all you need. And yeah, yep. Google me if you need something. Exactly. Else. <laughs> like go, go real, like investigative. If you want to find her, you can find her. Go to Southern California and just, just start trolling tennis courts. Yeah, just go to Mission Hills Country Club, and I'm usually on court five. Oh, boom. So. There you go. Wow, that was very specific. Yeah. I just right? She just made it easy there for you. you. Again, she made it easy. Um, yeah, go out <laughs> and get the book, Getting the Money. It is the book for raising money, period. No exceptions. It's everything you need. Go get it, and, and you'll find out the, exactly what I found out, too. So thanks again, uh, Susan. I appreciate your time, and have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks, Mike. You, too. All right. Bye-bye. Wow, what a fun interview I had uh, with Susan. Hopefully it came through what a cool person she is and, and how really just absolutely like you and I, right? She she started in real estate a long time ago and she needed money for her deals and she saw a need, figured out how to do it, figured out what the best practice was and put it into a book and has helped uh, thousands of people and raised, like she said, over $400 million. And that's just what she knows. Those are just the people who have kind of reached out and said, hey, I, I raised a million, I raised two million, I raised 10 million. And she sort of informally documented that. I, I suspect she's helped people raise a lot more than that. So this was an interview that I really wanted to bring to you as part of my commitment to bringing you content, interviews, information, uh, tactics, and strategies that are being used to grow a business and, and grow your business and what you can apply today that is going to be impactful for you. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Guys, getting the money, man, that's that's where it starts. You need to have money for your deals. And Susan can absolutely help you get there with her book. So go out and get it and uh, utilize it and start growing that business. 
there's really no way you can do that until you just get out there and start, right? We talk about it all the time. That's what the show is. It's Just Start Real Estate. It's called that because you have to just start. Get out there. Start raising money. Start finding deals. Grow your business. Realize your dreams. Guys, until next time, get after it. We'll talk to you soon.